0: It's so a great Welcome to the Stephen King cast, One Man's Musings on the Works of Stephen King. Each week, I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication. And what we are talking about today is Volume 4 of Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez's Lock and Key, uh, Volume 4 being Keys to the Kingdom. So I'm going to jump right into it. I'm going to read the Wikipedia summary from uh, Issue 1. Bodie Lock's teacher is talking to his mom about him not socializing much as he's playing alone. Later, Kinsey Locke is trying to get Tyler Locke to tell her where the Omega key is hidden when she accidentally reveals that Zach Wells is her boyfriend and they leave. Bodie then finds the animal key. When Zach sees Bodie with the key, he splits up with Kinsey to follow him as Kinsey goes to talk to Tyler. Back at Key House, Bodhi has found the door the key opens and, based on engravings on it, understands it will turn him into his secret animalistic self. He is turned into a sparrow. Zack follows through the door, transforms into a wolf, and gathers other wolves to hunt down Kinsey and Tyler. When the wolf pack surrounds them, Dodge requests the Omega Key. Kinsey manages um kinsey managed to beat dodge and the two run away bodie now part of a sparrow flock gets the other sparrows to stoop down at the wolves distracting them they also just barely managed to get dodge and the other wolf off tyler dodge escapes and transforms back into zach just before sparrow bodie shows up Bodhi then runs into the woods and finds the dead flock of sparrows. Kinsey and Tyler then show up. Back in school, Bodhi is still playing alone in bizarre ways, but this time one of the other kids is intrigued by his strangeness, and Bodhi is happy to play with him. He later makes um, another two friends. So my review, two things. Um, The first is that Winter has arrived to Lovecraft. Um, The second, okay, okay, let me back up. I have often said that uh, Twin Peaks was a formative piece of fiction in my life. Um, It's not exactly true, uh, but don't tell fans of Hanging with Agent Cooper that. Like many of us who experienced the 1990s, there is one man, um, an artist, a cartoonist, uh, who created magic on a daily basis. And that man's name is Bill Watterson, the creator of Calvin and Hobbes. I know that I've said that uh, Agent Cooper is the, uh, like I said, uh, formative uh, fictional character um, in my life. Um, But maybe before, and running concurrent for a while, to Agent Cooper was someone that just spoke to me and my sense of imagination... um, and that's Calvin, and Hobbs. Uh, I I can't. I there there. I don't know. I don't want to sound so generational that there isn't anything like this out there for children nowadays. Maybe there is. Gravity Falls was fantastic. It was very um, in the in the spirit in many ways of of Calvin and Hobbes. So for people that. Um, grew up on the two seasons of Gravity Falls. I, I imagine that they were able to get the same sense of adventure and imagination um, and how every aspect of childhood life does come w- with some learning and adventure. So, I mean, I, I know that it does exist, but for people of my generation, I mean, Calvin was, Calvin was it. Um, and I, I think I've mentioned this before on podcasts. I can't stand that bumper sticker of Calvin urinating because that's just not it's not the character, um, and had Bill Watterson licensed out the property, then we wouldn't have these these knockoffs so prominently in. Um in our culture, because that's just a, a, a gross misunderstanding of, of who Calvin is. Who is not vindictive. He's incredibly innocent um, and reflective and open to uh, the world. I mean, he has he comes to the world with his own viewpoint and his own set of philosophies, and he comes with his own um, beliefs. Which often run afoul of authority um, and the organizational structures that our society brings. But, but, um, he's incredibly thoughtful um, and very vulnerable. I mean, the, the, oh, I mean, there are are strips where he's crying or upset or um, just remorseful over something that's happened and it's heartbreaking. And that's not anything that would ever be thought of um or inferred from the the pissing bumper sticker. But that's kind of a digression. Uh but the 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 world of Calvin and Hobbes, the look of Calvin and Hobbes is ingrained upon a generation and it that same generation um Joe Hill belongs to and to see this world of Calvin and Hobbes, the look of Calvin and Hobbes be recreated and um honored in this issue, it, it just really elevates this issue, especially is because it is so bodhi centric and there is wonder and there is heartbreak at the same time within it. That's something that is very much in the spirit of Calvin and Hobbes. Um, and I mention all of this because the second that I turned the page, not only did I notice that Rodriguez's art style had changed, but it looked like Bill Watterson. And that got me so excited the first time I read it to know that I was going to be getting something different here. And another note about this issue is the interesting layout of every page. In the center of every page are four panels stacked in a column. The panels are placed on top of a full-page illustration that wraps around the panels, sometimes illustrating the character's true thoughts, sometimes allowing an opportunity to establish the beauty of the setting, other times expand upon the action within the four panels themselves. Between this layout and the changing art styles, this issue is a visual feast for the reader if he didn't catch the Calvin and Hobbes of it all, Hill almost immediately incorporates snowmen into the story. And what's interesting about this is that when Zack sees Bodie making snowmen, he begins to give advice about the importance of having friends. Knowing how much damage Zack will inflict upon Bodie's new friends by the end of the issue, it feels like a betrayal. Rodriguez flips between art styles from the innocent... Um, Watterson designed to the gruesome fantasies of what Zach wants to do to the lock children to retrieve his key. Then we'll flip back to not just the art style of Calvin Hobbes, but the content feels very Calvin and Hobbes. As when talking to a sparrow, Bodie muses on the weakness of a sparrow when separated from its flock. That language and the contemplation very much reeks of Calvin. Within the conversation among the kids, Kinsey, not afraid of telling the truth, lets loose the information that she and Zach are an item. Tyler does not take this well and runs off into the woods. Rodriguez beautifully captures a snowy New England day with deer grazing nearby. It might seem a little too picturesque, but it's not. It's not uncommon in some parts of Massachusetts to experience this on a daily basis. In their conversation, it's clear that Tyler is still carrying the burden of guilt, thinking that he's responsible for his father's death. And I appreciate the fact that, though we are far removed from that inciting incident of Rendell's death, the characters themselves couldn't be any more steeped in that particular moment and still living in the shadow of his passing. First Bodhi, then Zack, takes turns using the animal key, unlocking their animal selves. Again, Bodhi prepares to enter the doorway with a pluck in vocabulary of Calvin, expecting to become a gorilla. Though I have to say, if Hill had truly wanted to give us a Calvin tribute, Bodhi should have been believing he was going to turn into a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Either way, whether it be a T-Rex or a gorilla, it's not meant to be, as he turns into a sparrow and quickly finds himself in a larger flock, while Zack becomes the spirit animal that's been his avatar throughout the entire run so far, the wolf. As Bodhi learns the peace that comes from letting yourself ease into friendship with his newfound flock, Ty and Kinsey are beset upon the wolf and his pack, bloodthirsty wild dogs. And At that moment, Bodhi learns the truth about friends and the value of friendship, that the best friends will sacrifice their state of well-being to help you when you need it the most. And in a truly spectacular two-page spread, Rodriguez juxtaposes his two art styles with a Watterson-inspired illustration of the sparrows adorned with their aviator goggles and helmets as they dive-bomb the dogs um, that come with his more realistic approach. And with the cartoonish quality stripped away, it's just tragic how many sparrows are meeting a gruesome, bloody conclusion. Though many of them fall prey to the fangs and claws of the dogs... The sheer number of the flock overpowers the pack, and the next thing Zack knows, he's all alone, a victim of the strength of the lock children. As soon as he becomes himself again, Bodhi visits the battlefield where his flock friends had sacrificed themselves. Hill and Rodriguez don't dwell on it too long, but long enough to show that the experience had changed and affected the boy who now values friends. So when the issue concludes, they end it in a happy note with Bodhi rejecting the bully wolf pack and making his own flock with some outcasts who all follow his lead and pretend to fly like sparrows. It's it's a really nice ending. Issue 2 from Wikipedia. Kinsey Locke, Tyler Loczak, Wells and Jordan Gates are walking by McClellan Psychiatric Hospital when they pass Aaron Voss who starts rambling about Rendell and Dodge. Kinsey then recognizes Aaron and tries to talk to her. Kinsey wants to talk to her but Tyler is tired of all of the things happening and wants to stay away. Later, Kinsey is telling Jamal Saturday and Scott Cavanaugh about Aaron. Jamal tells Kinsey his uncle used to work there and that's easy to get in. Bodilock is listening by the door. Meanwhile, dodge in female shape enters a bar to find two men working as janitors for the hospital he promises sexual favors in return of a pick of aaron voss and gives them his phone number bodie shows up at kinsey's door with the skin key in return for her giving him the head key she takes him with her uh, and tyler includes him when talking about the keys the two use the key and the mirror to change into black people they travel to the hospital where they claim that they're there to read to the patients. Meanwhile, the janitors are taking pictures of Aaron. Dodge then shows up and kills them both in front of Aaron. Then hides and Kinsey comes. She uses the head key on Aaron and finds there's only whiteness and the murders in there, which quickly fade. Aaron's nurse comes in and Kinsey runs away from the hospitals with Bodie. When the nurse finds the bodies, she believes Kinsey is the killer. This ends up on the evening news, but the phantom sketch doesn't match her. Review. The mystery of what had occurred in the previous generation continues, with Zack, Kinsey, Tyler, and Jordan coming back from a fencing mash match when they pass what is left of Aaron Voss, who immediately recognizes Dodge and confuses Tyler with Rendell. The sudden image sparks a memory within her, and she attempts to communicate, which proves difficult due to her loss of cognition and placement within the psychiatric facility. Knowing what happens to people who recognize Dodge, you should immediately grow worried for this woman. Dodge is not like loose ends, and Voss's fate becomes a ticking time bomb. Back at the lockhouse, Hill reaffirms the previous issues Calvin and Hodge tribute as Bodie reads Yukon Ho, one of the Calvin and Hobbes collections. Jamal, Kinsey, and Scott devise a way to get into the hospital to speak with Voss and unbeknownst to them, so is Dodge who has used the gender key to seduce the orderlies into texting a picture of Voss in her room, which will allow Dodge to use the Anywhere key to get rid of her for good. Dodge arrives to her room in the minute or two before Kinsey and Bodhi arrive themselves, having turned themselves black. They arrive upon Dodge's murder of the orderlies. Dodge, by the way, is wearing a ninja outfit, which is a lot of fun. And after Kinsey uses the head key on Voss to discover that her mind has been completely cleaned out except for a recent murder by Dodge and an image of Rendell, her high school sweetheart. Kinsey and Bodie manage to escape, and I wonder if it was a, a mistake to allow that. The entire issue revolves around broad conversations around race, and though it's nice that Kinsey and Bodie get a different perspective from being black, at the end of the day, they are saved by their whiteness. What would have happened if they were immediately arrested? As black children with no identification and no alibi, the conflict and uncertainty around their fates would escalate the tension and allowing them to be entered into a system that historically has not been favorable to black people would be a lasting consequence for using the magic keys. And I think it's a um, truly missed opportunity. Issue three, Wikipedia. February 1st, Tyler Locke is playing ice hockey and his team loses. Two, or February 2nd, Uh, Jordan Gates convinces Tyler to get rid of his hat. Four, Kinsey Locke suggests to Zach Wells that they use the head key to switch around their happiest thoughts. Zach naturally declines. Five, Dodge uses the plant key to attack the kids. They end up with cuts all over their faces. The next few days, other characters ask about this. Then Scott Cavanaugh and Jamal Saturday ask Kinsey about her cuts. The two try to convince her to tell them more about the situation she's in. And then Bodie Locke finds the angel key, the Hercules key, and the Harlequin key, which unlocks the Harlequin wardrobe filled with magical gear. Kinsey uses the angel key wings to protect tyler and bodie from the mechanical owl bodie uses the hercules key to break the chains of the chain key and free his siblings kinsey reveals her tears and fears drowned in the bottle to scott and jamal so he suggests using the head key on one of them for fun scott happily volunteers after having plucked the sanity out of scott he's decided to perform an act butt naked in the snow in front of the entire lovecraft academy tyler yells at "'Kinsey for bringing Scott and Jamal into the key business. Bodie and Jason Bird use the giant key on themselves "'so they can play with the cars. "'Jason accidentally steps on the gazebo. "'Tyler yells at Bodie. "'Tyler is surrounded by squirrels under Dodge's power. "'Kinsey uh, are reluctant to help him. "'The squirrels have the squirrel key, the music box. "'Key is used to hypnotize Kinsey, "'so she nearly kills Tyler.' duncan Locke talks on the phone about brian rogan's condition jordan gets house attention because she was late for a test tyler offers to help her study jordan silences him just before she's about to say he's in love with her jackie vita is helping scott with a presentation but gets annoyed at how strange he's acting scott's placed one of kinsey's best memories in his head jackie thinks he's high tyler and jordan are also studying scott walks in on kinsey using the head key on jamal he gets upset but jamal's annoyed by that scott leaves crying tyler sneaks over to jordan in the middle of the night and finds her in bed with brinker martin tyler goes to the garbage can where he threw away his hat stops the garbage man and finds the hat teddy bear attacks with the teddy bear key Tyler is using his hat again Tyler punches Brinker in the face Scott and Jamal fight while Kinsey and Jackie try and break them up. Tyler is wearing is fishing wearing the Hercules amulet. Kinsey and him talk about things that have happened Tyler plays hockey again. This time he's wearing the amulet making it an easy match Now this issue, here's my review uh, It's just dedicated to the consequences of using the keys recklessly The issue spans the entire month of February and it's a condensed look at the lives of the Lock kids and what becomes a uh, fun riff on classic superhero conventions, characters who have to balance their fantastical life responsibilities with their everyday responsibilities, most famously um, of superheroes uh, is Spider-Man and Peter Parker, who is um, one of, if I'm talking about this and you don't know who Spider-Man is, um, Spider-Man is one of the most profitable IPs uh, in existence. Uh, He is, he started off as a teenage superhero who quickly learned with great power comes great responsibility, and every classic Spider Man story just deals with the fact that he is, he has such difficulty balancing the day to day grind and the responsibilities of just being the best he can be as Peter Parker uh, nephew, Peter Parker employee, Peter Parker boyfriend, Peter Parker friend, with the responsibilities that come with being a superhero. And this is what we see um, enacted here uh, in the pages of this particular comic book with all of the Locke children. And we get this from the alternating scenes of the adventures with of the keys with the high school drama with, there's no escaping high school drama. <laughs> Um, It's magic in and of itself, dark magic, um, but it's magic nevertheless. Kinsey breaks up with Dodge from his unwillingness to share himself with her. She then rebounds with Scott in an emotional fling. Because she was aware of his feelings towards her, she should have known the ramifications of her recklessness. Because when she begins to swap memories with Jamal, she inadvertently drives a wedge between the friends, and concurrently Jordan sabotages her relationship with Tyler by cheating on him cheating and consequences are the themes explored in this very fun self-contained issue um, quick note the rival high school team is Voorhees high um, if that name does not ring a bell Voorhees is the last name of Jason from Friday the 13th movies and just in general it's just fun it's just a fun issue it's a it's a breezy issue and it, it's just a really cool way to let Gabriel Rodriguez explore all the different keys um, without us having to sit through an entire volume or story arc um dedicated to just one key right we we get the mechanical owl we get wings we get vines we get evil squirrels um a possessed kinsey evil teddy bears it's a lot of fun to just watch and have our minds fill in the blanks of what uh, occurs and what the larger stories are um but it's just it's just a lot of fun And I'm sure that we would have seen a lot of these keys and more in the failed lock and key Fox uh, show that had a pilot but wasn't picked up. Uh, for series back in the early 2000s and as I've said um, on recent podcasts, I think that's a blessing that we never got them. We will be getting a Lock and Key series on Netflix. You'll It's available to queue it up. Um, it will be in your queue on your watch list um, so we should be hearing more about it. Um, if you type in Lock and Key Netflix, there's a lot of social media stuff around it. The, the actors and actresses seem to be having a blast and they seem to be very excited to be a part of this. Uh, so Hopefully that excitement translates into something worth watching, for Joe Hill's sake, um, as well as as all of us. Okay, issue four from Wikipedia: Rufus Whedon comes over to Keyhouse and ends up playing war with Bodilock. While playing, the ghost of Sam Lesser shows up, and unlike the other characters, Rufus can see him. So he follows him into another room. Sam starts explaining what happened to him, but covers it up to make it sound like a war. Sam then leads Rufus into the cellar where he tells Rufus more about Zach Wells, who he really is, and that he's watching them. Rufus and Sam both see a pair of glowing red eyes in the air as he's using the philosophoscope. Sam then brings Rufus into the hidden cellar where Dodge found the crown of shadows where he explains the importance of the keys and what Dodge might do to Rufus's mother. Despite that, Rufus still doesn't want to kill Zach. Sam goes on to tell him about the flooded caves, the drainage system, and the Omega Key. Rufus still refuses to kill. Rufus is then led out out to the wellhouse. He explains that the door through the wellhouse has the power to destroy Zack, and he should tell the other kids about this. Sam then disappears as Bodhi comes running after Rufus and gets him back inside. While drinking hot cocoa, Rufus tries to tell Bodhi about Zack, but he's interrupted as he shows up to pick him up. When the two are alone, Zach tells Rufus about all the horrible things that will happen if he ever tells anyone before he rips one of Rufus's soldiers apart, leaving him on the ground. Kinsey and Zach make up again. Later, at the Cape Cod hospital, Brian Rogan finally wakes up and explains to Duncan Locke there was another person in their house the night he got hit by a car. My review. There's a sense of magic running through this volume that speaks to the childhood that Hill grew up in. Hill and I are both around the same age, so touchstones like Calvin and Hobbes, and this type of action figure play are resonant to me and people of my generation. When Bodie meets Rufus, and um, they very easily get into a shared imagination rhythm, it feels very honest to childhood play. But I wonder, do kids still do this? In my experience, I don't really see much of this. I do see like really young kids you know my three-year-old does this whenever i, I go to the gym and I, I drop her off in the um little play area the child watch um you know i see that like you know she just gets on whatever that imagination wavelength is with the other kids and they're just kind of in their zone playing um but i just remembered that for me it lasted a while And I was able to balance that with a lot of TV, a lot of books, and a lot of video games also, and spending a lot of time outside. Um, I just, I, in my experience, that does not last in in more, again, I don't want to be this generationalist um, decrying youth today. I just, I don't know. This is just a a general question. I don't know. And if anyone has an answer, um, if anyone has kids older, uh, you know, what have you seen? as they play with their figures lost in the imaginary world of their creativity the ghost of sam lesser walks through and when rufus can see him sam joins in on the play or at least he manipulates he manipulates rufus's play by pretending to be a soldier as sam leads him through the key house rodriguez gives us an incredible splash page showing the house and each member within it of Tyler uh, dumping Nina's booze down the drain, Bodie playing with dinosaurs, and Kinsey making cocoa. In the basement, Rufus and Sam have a heart-to-heart about their parents. Despite the strangeness of the scene and the unpredictability of Sam, there's an unexpected tenderness that shades the conversation. Um, through this incredible pairing between the innocent boy and the tortured ghost, Hill gives us more information about the larger story, From dodge's endgame namely that he wants to find a key that opens the omega door for reinforcements because we've seen that thing on ghost dodge's back it should give some idea about what sam is talking about here he straight up tells rufus and us what that means that Zack is possessed by a parasite of the spirit and that by bringing one more through the door the parasites could multiply and theoretically take over this world and we get the kryptonite that can be used against dodge. According to Sam, the only reason Zack is even walking around is because of the echo key. The echo came from the well house. If Zack is returned to the well, the magic will wipe him out. And with that, we have our villain's reason and his weakness discovered not by our main characters, but delivered by one of the peripheral characters to another peripheral character. Having this knowledge shared by supporting characters will only heighten the tension as the story ramps up to its concluding chapters. In the game of living chess in which Zack thinks he's the game master, it turns out that Sam is outplaying him. He's purposely manipulated Dodge and Rufus, knowing that Dodge would use the philosopher's scope, and when it pointed to Rufus as an untrustworthy ally, what Dodge is unaware of is that having the conversation with Rufus, the philosopher's scope was pointing at him even though Dodge couldn't see the ghost. Now Dodge is more likely to lay off Rufus because the machine has labeled him an ally. So in essence, Sam has effectively brought in a player to take down Zack, give him his secret history and weakness, and protected him in the process. Zack picks up Rufus to take him home, threatens to keep his mouth shut, and in breaking one of his toys to prove a point might have reinforced everything that Sam had told him, and the issue concludes with Brian waking up in the hospital and asking about the kid with the gun who had attacked him. Though Dodge likes to think of himself as a master manipulator, he does leave a lot of uh, does leave a lot of loose ends, any of which could be his downfall. Issue five, from Wikipedia: When Tyler Locke and Duncan Locke leave Cape Cod Hospital after visiting Brian Rogan, who recently just woke up from his coma, Duncan mentions that the guy with the gun in their house had a lip ring, and Tyler suddenly realizes has a realization: the guy's description fits his close friend Zach Wells. Two days later, Zach is um, marking past days when the Dark Lady has attacked them on the calendar. Marking past day on the calendar when the Dark Lady has attacked them. Gotcha, okay. That's just from Wikipedia. So he's on the calendar marking the days um, of all the times the Dark Lady has attacked them. Kinsey comes in and they have an argument about her dating Zach and the Omega Key. Zach notices, Tyler notices that when Zach has gone on the weekends is when the attacks always happen. Another four days later, Zack is competing in a sword-fighting tourney with the locks watching. Bodilock is so hungry, is hungry, so Tyler decides to take him home and make some food. While walking home, they stop at Zack's place to bring over one of Rufus's soldier figures he left at the key house after Zack had ripped it apart. Rufus is happy to see his soldier, but warns Tyler that he's in enemy territory. Tyler goes to Zach's bedroom where he finds a jar filled with memories of Zach and Luke taken from various people's heads. Uh, Zach then shows up through the use of the Anywhere key after Kinsey Locke told him Tyler was just heading home. He sets up the music box to hypnotize Tyler into obeying him and freezes. Just when Zach is about to force Tyler to talk, Daniel Motuku rings the doorbell. Here's my review. We get a reminder of the victims of Dodge, Ellie's mother, Sam Lesser, Joe Ridway, before returning to that, that one that, turned to one that loved Brian. I don't know what I meant by that. Sorry, guys. And in the conversation with Duncan about the kid with the gun, the description of a kid with black hair and rippling lip ring stops Tyler dead in his tracks. He has his suspicions, but he's going to wait it out. He observes Zack getting back in good graces with Kinsey, and during a conversation with his sister, they begin discussing the prom, which means that we most likely have the finish line for our story clearly defined but Tyler is too focused with the truth about Zach and realizes that a recent string of weekend attacks coincide with times when Zach is away on supposed research trips to Boston. The cat and mouse game begins, and with less story left than ever before, the tension makes me giddy. In a conversation with Dodge, Tyler naturally jokes about Zach not having a conversation, and when he makes a comment about being a half-dog, half dog, Tyler retorts, half-wolf. It's a great scene, and it's wonderful to watch our hero have an upper hand, but we should also worry because Dodge is incredibly perceptive, and it won't take much for him to figure out that Tyler has figured out his secret. During a fencing match, Tyler takes the opportunity to pay Ellie a visit under the pretense of returning Rufus's busted action figure, the fishing lure that's been on his hat since the beginning starts to make sense as he begins to fish for the truth, and when he sees that Ellie can't have a sensible conversation about Zack or where he's come from, it only emboldens him. And when he discovers the jar of Ellie's memories in Zack's room, he's happened upon by a teleporting dodge. And now we have the tread lightly showdown, that's a reference from Breaking Bad, between our hero and Velen, former best friends. Dodge quickly gets the upper hand on him and freezes him to the spot. But before he can do any damage, Daniel Matuku arrives at the door. It is... It just... Boom. There we are. So many issues are leading to this moment. And I don't know... Most times you think that it, it's it's going to come later. You always think that these moments are going to come at the end. So when they do come earlier than the end, it just makes everything so delicious because it's unexpected and you don't realize just how much you have been waiting for this moment to actually occur. Um, it kind of, it, it, it's all been building this moment, but at the same time, it also feels like it comes out of the blue, um... And it's just so thrilling. And we have another issue left. From issue six, Wikipedia. Five days before the end of the previous issue, Daniel Matuku is investigating Joe Ridgway's murder, or um, his place, when his partner points out that Ellie Whedon stops by to pay her respects to Ridgway, as she does every night. He's also told Ellie's mother died a year earlier. Two days later, Daniel learns that the x-rays of Candace's broken neck is extremely similar to that of Sam Lesser's. The doctor believes it was caused by the same murderer. Another two days later, Daniel calls the Whedon residence when Rufus Whedon answers. Rufus tells him Zach Wells doesn't let him talk to the police, leaving Mutuku suspicious. Continuing where the previous issue had left off, Daniel is visiting the Whedons regarding the death of Joe Ridgway. When Mutuku mentions Ellie's mother, Zach understands and strikes him with his sword. When Ellie comes to stop him, he pierces her with it too. Detective Matuku knocks Zach down. He flees upstairs, grabbing Bodhi Locke as a hostage on the way to his bedroom, where he commands Tyler Locke, still under the spell of the music box, to take out the first person that comes through that door. Tyler then breaks the jar of Lucas-slash-Dodge's memories over Matuku's partner and tackles him. Meanwhile, Zach jumped down with Bodhi. Back at Lovecraft Academy, people are still waiting for Zach to return for another fight. Kinsey Locke calls him, but Rufus, trying to comfort his dead mother, answers it instead. Rufus explains what Zack has done, and Kinsey understands. Zack uses the Anywhere key to get him and Bodie into the key house, where he tells Sam's ghost he's going to give him his body and he'll take Bodie's. Zack then opens the ghost door and enters it with Bodie, where the bodies are swapped. When Sam is in Luke slash Zack's body and Dodge is in Bodie's, Sam quickly grabs Dodge and carries him to the wheelhouse the wellhouse, but finds that the pouch doesn't hold the echo key. Kinsey suddenly ambushes him. Kinsey is eventually pulled off of him by Mutuku's partner, but Sam slash Zach is already dead. The book ends with the lock children, Mutuku, and his partner finally thinking that it's over. Review. Oh boy, what a beginning. After the tense showdown of the previous issue, this issue begins with the paramedics attempting to revive an off-screen character while Dodge walks away with a struggling Bodie. Five days before, it's clear that Dodge Daniel is still on the case of the Joe Ridgway murder. It doesn't feel right, and he's not letting go of it. And when Daniel learns that Ellie's mother had died in an accident months ago, his suspicions begin to draw him closer to the truth. He quickly discovers that Sam Lesser and Ellie's mom both died in the same manner, with their necks twisted in a staged fall. And when Daniel comes to speak with Zach, believing he's a murderer, Dodge goes in for the kill, ready to tie up those loose ends. He's done playing games, and attacks Daniel and runs his sword through Ellie's stomach. Ellie suffers an undignified, gruesome death, with Dodge ripping her off um her lower lip in a final kiss giving rufus a horrific sight when he discovers her dead body daniel holds his own against the devil who quickly holds bodie hostage everything is spinning out of control and it's thrilling to watch things move into uncharted territory from the police officer watching the little memories walk past him to watching the boldness of dodge fly through the air to rufus telling kinsey that zach has killed his mother the uncertainty of what comes next is almost too much to bear and when Dodge switches bodies with Bodie, and Sam enters Zach's body, there's a moment when you think Sam will be victorious in bringing the spirit or echo of Dodge back into the wellhouse. But Dodge planned for this, and the body of Zach, possessed by Sam, is attacked by Kinsey. Finally, unbeknownst to her, Kenzie gets her revenge on the man who's killed her father, but in a truly tragic twist. In doing so, she possibly doomed her brother, whom she had been protecting when the man she just murdered, murdered her father. The layers and twists and loops to this issue are so precisely placed with such carefully laid out payoffs to the bombs that have been waiting to go off. It's just an amazing read, and it concludes Volume 4, keys to the kingdom so i know this is a shorter episode i don't have any uh emails or itunes reviews to read this week um and next week we're going to be getting to our next uh chapter in this fantastic series of comic book stories so if you have not been reading them please go out to your local brick and mortar comic book stores pick up um the books you will not be disappointed And, uh, yeah, may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I'll see you here next week where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast.